Here's why friends don't let friends vaccinate. Fear does not stop death. It stops life. And worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. The COVID quote unquote vaccine is not a vaccine. They've said it will take multiple doses and even then require continuous reinjection. That's a drug, not a vaccine. Add to that that this is the first ever mRNA vaccine, which contrary to the propaganda websites and news outlets out there debunking the real risks, has the potential to change our genetic makeup, perhaps even making a legal case that humans who have received the vaccine have now been genetically modified, almost like a GMO. Let that sink in for a moment. And then you take into that, into consideration the fact that multiple countries are showing dozens of adverse effects. Hank Aaron, the Major League Baseball star, died just within a, a week of getting the COVID vaccine. And there are many more cases, far too many to even name here. This is part of the reason that many of us have decided to be the change that we want to see in the world. And we are forming a regenerative, community-sufficient tribe living in harmony with nature in Western North Carolina. Here's a little bit of the community guidelines and manifesto for those of you guys that may be interested. It's going to be off-grid power. So each home is going to have their own power, either through propane, solar, hydroelectric, wood stoves, or some combination thereof. Uh, there's going to be no Wi-Fi or wireless electricity, but we will have wired internet connections that are faster and healthier. Uh, each parcel of land on the property, each home site is going to have uh, spring water for drinking, bathing, and gardening. We have a regenerative philosophy that we're bringing. So if, for example, we need to cut down five trees to put in a road, we're going to plant 10. Um, we believe that we are divine creators in the image of God and that the laws of God uh, belong above the laws of man. Um, we're going to encourage gardening, growing some or all of your own food. Many people don't realize this, but a family of four can be fed on just a quarter acre. Um, we're going to be connected to our local law enforcement, particularly the local sheriff. We're going to be attending um, meetings and lobbying for laws that uphold the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, our freedom, and the health and sustainability, I know that's a buzzword, uh, of, of Mother Nature. We're going to focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, our currency is going to be trading of goods and services, um, possibly silver, possibly gold, but not relying on, uh, you know, paper money that's not backed by anything and certainly headed for a crash or uh, the cryptocurrency, which is um, part of, you know, this sort of slavery system that they're kind of trying to usher the unsuspecting into. Uh, we believe our greatest assets are our community, our character, and our health. Family is wealth. Uh, no mask, no vax. There's going to be community homeschooling. Uh, it's critical that we teach our children as they are our future. 
So we're going to be big on practicing critical thinking, challenging convention, seeking wisdom, not information. There's going to be no usury, so no charging interest on any loaned money. And all of us are going to be looking to add value, leaving everyone in our community better than we found them. Um, if you're interested in learning more about how you could possibly be a part of this community, uh, you can go to biohackercoaching.com. I want to be forthright and respect your time. The minimum investment is a 25K donation that guarantees uh, a quarter acre plot of land. Uh, 75K guarantees uh, a full acre of land and 195K guarantees three acres of land. And our community is a beautiful mix of entrepreneurs, healers, yogis, health professionals, families, and individuals who value freedom, connection, and living in harmony with Mother Earth. Uh, this sounds funny, but after 2020, you got to say it. All religions except for Satanism and Luciferianism are valued and welcome. So it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, as long as God's at the top, um, that's all that matters. So yeah. You can learn more about that and grab a time for us to talk at biohackercoaching.com. Just please make sure that, you know, the you're financially qualified. And if you would like to request, after you filled out your application, if you'd like to request that it is moved to the front of the line, you can text community VIP to 847-989-3743. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakable. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Andy Galpin, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Ah, pleasure to be here, man. So when people ask you what you do for work, what do you say? Yeah, it's really easiest to explain in three parts. So technically, I'm a, I'm a full professor at Cal State Fullerton. So my job is to you know, be a professor there. But really, uh, you know, a third of it is teaching. So I teach classes in the areas um, of sports nutrition, program design, strength conditioning, muscle physiology, things like that at the graduate level. Um, and then I run the Center for Sport Performance. So this is a large research facility dedicated to performing and what we call disseminating research that enhances human performance. Uh, and a couple of things that's interesting about that is we've got a whole bunch of labs. So biomechanics, um, exercise physiology, kind of all the classic exercise science stuff. And then my lab, which is um, biochemistry and molecular aspects of human performance. So we take muscle biopsies and we examine people at the single cell and, and molecular and uh, single fiber level. Um, but everything we do in the entire center is dedicated to optimizing performance. So we don't do deal with disease prevention. We don't deal with disease treatment. We don't deal with people that are basically anything besides trying to perform at the highest possible level. Um, it doesn't always mean we have elite athletes in though. Sometimes we do, uh, but it's also just people who want to optimize their own individual physical abilities. Um, what, what can we learn research-wise that will do that? So we don't do the disease treatment stuff at all. Um, and then, so that's, that's a third of my, the other third of my life. And then the final third is, is working with professional athletes. So I work with um, a lot of combat sport athletes. So a lot of wrestlers, a lot of UFC fighters, boxers, um, major league baseball players, and some other things. So I, I do a little bit of research. I do a little bit of teaching, and then I actually put some stuff into practice as much as I can. So that's the long-winded answer to what I do for a living. If uh, I want to get shorter, I just say I'm a teacher so that they won't talk to me. 
And you're also a, an author. You co-authored the book uh, Unplugged with Phil White, who's been on the podcast episode 56. And that's a fantastic read for any athletes or just people looking to really optimize their their physiology and psychology in, in every way possible. So thank you for your work with that. What um, I've got a bunch of questions here, but we'll unpack them one at a time. First, what are some of the breakthroughs that you've seen in sports performance um, that have helped athletes who are already at the peak get another one, two, five, maybe 10% improvement in, in, in performance that you have made a part of your routine? Sure. The there's a lot of directions I want to go with this answer. So don't let me forget to actually come back and answer it. Okay. Okay. Cause I have a more straightforward answer to that, but I think what we do a little bit different in our lab and me personally, why uh, I get hired to work with professional athletes is I think in general, the way that we teach this area and the way that we study it, um, it's a little bit backwards. And so I think getting away from the siloed approach, is what I'm referring to. So we try to study the human body as a whole functioning unit rather than its individual parts. And at some point you have to do that, right? So if you wanna really understand how the nervous system works, you have to get really specific and dive fully into that. But the problem is when you get an answer there and you step all the way back and say, therefore, this is how you should train or recover. Well, now you've got a huge problem because you didn't take into consideration all the other physiological parts. And so that answer may be totally true completely incorrect or anywhere in between, and you don't have a fucking clue. Uh, and so that's the part where I've pushed back hard on is saying, well, hold on now. Like you can't take really specific stuff and then apply it to the entire human body. And even in my field, the molecular side, it's the same thing. So we can't t say do a study and look at three or four different types of training and find the one that optimized mitochondria biogenesis the most and think that's actually going to make you a better athlete. There's way, 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 way too many steps involved. And so we will first take that approach, which is to say, okay, we treat the entire human body and we try to look at all layers. And this is what we call in my lab, the whole body to gene. And so it's everything from, do you jump higher? Okay. Going down to the next level, then how do your cells function? Do they contract with more force like the individual muscle fibers? And then the layer below that, what are the molecules actually doing? The signaling proteins, et cetera. And then the layer below that epigenetic responses to the exercise, et cetera. And then we ask questions up and down that chain, depending on where we think we're trying to answer. So that's, I guess, the, the way that I frame all these things. So when it comes to breakthroughs, um, to me, the, the, the advancement that we're all on the cusp of is truly getting towards personalized or individualized prescriptions. And those terms get abused quite often right now because the, the flat out answer is we're not there. Uh, and a lot of people claim we are with things, but we're, we're simply not. And so this could be everything from saying, um, like we've done work in our lab on the gut microbiome and the changes with exercise in the microbiome. And so that is one area where it could say, okay, maybe really biggest bang for your buck or what, what I would refer to as first principles is if we just go in there and, and tweak our gut a little bit, everything else falls in line because we know that, again, this is an entire body that's going to respond. So if you change something like the gut microbiome, it will have influences on every system in the body. Um, the problem is we're, we're complete in the dark ages with something like the microbiome. So something is there, um, but we are probably decades away from figuring out anything like that. We have done a lot of work recently on manipulating breath 
Um, so what we call intentional breath, breath manipulation, just like practices. So these are breathing, inhale, exhale, things like that, as well as the mechanics of your diaphragm. Um, so do you actually breathe mechanically properly? Stuff like that. So the, my answer to all that question is what I do to optimize the biggest breakthroughs can be completely different from one athlete to the next. And so what I spent a lot of time doing is an individual in-depth analysis of what I call their defenders. So they step up and they say, hey, Andy, I want to achieve X goal. Well, the, my first question is, what's defending you right now from getting that goal? And you might think it's the fact that your testosterone is low, but that may just be a symptom. Why is your testosterone low in the first place? That's the defender we actually have to get to. And if that happens, testosterone goes up and then you jump higher or whatever the hell the thing can be. And so it's really drilling down on figuring out what is for you the biggest hack that we can possibly get. That is, you know, the biggest log, um, the biggest trip, whatever it can be. And that may be in a host of areas. It could, it could be anything from um, not sleeping properly, could have a gut bug. You know, that's pretty rare, but possible. Uh, it could be a, tr a training approach, right? You're just not saving in, in the right kind of training program. It could be the fact that you have too little salt or too much sodium, too little potassium, whatever, we optimize your hydration status, any of these areas. And we see these giant jumps in performance from folks once we figure out that one thing. And that's not always possible. And sometimes it's taken years because you got to trial and error a lot of stuff. But my answer to all that is it's not simply one thing. It's not, well, I'll just, you know, hey, everyone take vitamin C. I think that's a pretty unfair answer. Uh, it's just not going to work. And if you're in the business of just giving blanket answers that may or may not help some people, fine. But And that's honestly okay, but that's not what I do. People come to me because they want to answer for themselves specifically. And so that's what I spend time doing. And it takes a tremendous amount of time and a lot of work in the lab uh, to do that. And so the things that I actually put into my practice, it's, it's all of these things. I have tried basically everything I've ever asked an athlete to do from I've got a cooler in my back that sits at 30 degrees that I get in constantly. So for cold water immersion stuff, uh, breath work stuff, we've been working on for probably six years now, different styles of training, um, macronutrient profile, supplements, timing of eating, all these things I've, I've tried and changed. Um, some of them have worked well on me and others haven't really done much, but they've had huge influences on the people I've worked with. So, um, it, your, your body's different. And so we need to approach it and attack it differently to solve the different problems you have. And you're also probably trying to get your body to do something different than I am. Mm. So we're not going to have the same solution. Sure. Sure. When it comes to breath practices, um, most of our listeners are familiar with uh, the Iceman Wim Hof and sort of his approach. What is a, a, a breath practice that you find yourself going to more often than others and why? There's a handful of different things we will use. Um, the Wim, I've known Wim for, I don't, I don't know, a number of years now, six or something probably. We're not great friends or anything like that, but we, we you know, before he get, got really exploded on the scene, we, we started doing some stuff with him. So I've done plenty of that. I've done it with him. We've done all kinds of exposures in ice with him. And we've played around a lot. That celebrating is fine. Um, it's not my favorite cup of tea personally, but other folks love it. Um, I will use a combination personally and then I'll answer this with the athletes that I tend to use the most with them is uh, any sort of hyperventilation stuff prior to workout tends to be pretty awesome. Uh, so that usually kicks people up into gear. And then um, most importantly, though, is some sort of down regulation post-exercise, whether you want a box breeze, 
breathe, that's fine. Um, a lot of the athletes I'll honestly use box breathing with because it's really, really simple. And all I have to do is tell them the, the number and it, you know, I don't have to go, okay, inhale for three, hold for two. Okay. Exhale for one. I do that for four rounds now and go for it. And it's like, this is not going to happen. Just tell you not box breathe for five minutes and done. Um, so I, I've done a whole bunch. Um, I, I use a lot with the other guy that wrote the book with us, Brian McKenzie on his websites, he's got different calculators and, and we've used CO2 tolerance. We've just finished up a study in my lab on CO2 tolerance. Um, to be able to use that as a factor for different cadence and apnea breathing. So I've used a lot of that uh, as well. So that's what I use personally, but the downreg stuff for the most part will either use box breathing or honestly something as simple as lay on your back, cover your eyes, and I'll see you in five minutes. Didn't, just don't breathe through your mouth. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that's even the most executable thing. And it's maybe not the best thing possible, but it's, it's a, still effective enough. Uh, and then hyperventilation before as well with them, just get them ready to go. So put down the bang and just open your nostrils and let's get going. Yeah. All right. So let's say you and I are about to hit a workout right now. And I'm like, let's do some, let's do some hyperventilation. Mm -hmm. What do we do? Yeah. So the easiest thing I prefer nose only. Um, The honest answer though, is that only probably works about half the time because the populations I work with get punched in the nose for a living. So that's sometimes it's like, (laughs) it's like a, like a, 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 hungry pug <laughs> yeah yeah with a sinus infection yeah <laughs> so we'll, we'll go to mouth there um it's just it is what it sounds so it's hyperventilating right so it's you can do a combination we'll usually ask them to do two different ways so either more Wim Hof style right which is that's a focus on inhale right and inhale or it's right and then the third one is actually kind of like more breath of fire fire style. Well, I'll just put my hand, have them put their hand in their stomach and I just want them to contract their diaphragm as quickly and as forcefully repeatedly as I can. And I won't give them a cue for what to do with there. It's just, <laughs> they're just trying to contract through there. So I usually have them try one of those three styles and see which one gets them going. And if you've never played with anything like that, it usually takes like, you know, literally two to three seconds and you'll start, your hands will start getting all clammy and you'll start going and you'll feel like, okay, I, I get this here. So that's the most common one. And usually we will do something in the order of 20 reps, some sort of breath hold or break 20 more reps two or three times. In, and within a couple of minutes, we're out of there. You've worked with some really high level people. And I'm curious, what are your observations? What do you feel differentiates their psychology from say the average, <laughs> the average cross section of the population, you know, someone who maybe got up to like a high school level sport, but that's it, or just your, your run of the mill average American, what are the biggest differences you see? Yeah. So I've had the fortune to work with a number of individuals, one of them being Trevor Bauer. And if you're not a baseball fan, he just won the Cy Young award, which is picture of the year. And he is unique because he's, Baseball is an old, old man sport, right? It's 50 year olds and you do this and you don't do this. And the reason I'm saying that is he's really changed the game because he has pushed hard and saying, no, we can do this stuff better. We're not just going to throw a baseball and have a coach say, ah, that was pretty good. Now do this, right? He tracks, we track everything. We have over 50 metrics every day that we use on him. So this is like the most opposite of unplugged ever, right? But it, it follows the exact same principles. 
And so it's we're working with him. It's different because he takes his profession so much more serious or so much serious literally. You get the point. Um, than any professional athlete I've ever been around. So what's, he's not a good athlete per se. Um, if you look at him, you'd be like, there's no way this guy's an athlete. He was not a good athlete in high school. He was not popular. He doesn't do anything. You put him on a force plate and it's pathetic. You ask him to jump. It's horrible. He's not strong. He has none of these things. Right. Um, but he takes it so, uh, he takes it so serious and, and it's tracking every single day. We have everything to look at. Uh, he's always pushing the pace. What can we do different? I don't care. Like, let's get in stuff. Let's experiment. So what separates him above anybody else is a professionalism by far. And I've had athletes of the opposite. So they're, they're not professional whatsoever. And I guess the way that I'll break it down in MMA or in combat sports, we can, I'll generally categorize them into three rough personalities. And I got this from a, a long time MMA coach and he will then, he's said, you have to have two of these three at a world-class level to actually be a world champion. All three is pretty rare, but you have to have at least two of these three. And so category one is you have to be an athlete. And that is, you know, can you run high or can you run fast, jump high? All these things, right? If I give you a new drill to do, can you perfect it immediately? Category two is competitor. And these are people who don't want to lose at anything. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, blackjack or if it's a sprint or like they just don't want to lose. They may or may not be athletes, but it's the fact of competition. And then the third one is a fighter. And a fighter is someone who just doesn't care if it's people in the audience or getting punched in the face. They don't retract. They just like physically fighting, right? So you can exchange these categories. The fighter one being specific, we use it with baseball too, right? So are you just a baseball junkie? Are you a baseball player? But you still got to be a competitor and you still got to be an athlete, right? And so what separates all these individuals at the highest level is they have two of these at world-class level. So they're either, say, in the case of uh, George St. Pierre, famous MMA fighter, he was not a natural fighter. He didn't like getting punched in the face. He honestly didn't even like punching people in the face, uh, but he was such an unbelievable athlete and a, a ferocious competitor that inside the octagon, he just didn't want to lose any exchange. He didn't want to lose a single position. He didn't want to lose a single round. He was such a competitor. Fighters don't always care about losing rounds because they're more interested in busting your face up. Like that to them is like the win. Um, so again, you exchange this fighter category with anything you want. This is what's going to tell you, are you there? So you have to have something like that. You have to have the desire to compete and to not give up, or you have to have an unbelievable talent at the athlete category, right? So are you just an insanely talented at your job or skill set, whatever that thing is? And the third one is you, you just have to have a complete love and passion for whatever that thing is. It doesn't matter if you're talented or competitive, but this is your all consuming everything. And the professional athletes I've been around are always elite in two of those three categories. Um, and the ones that aren't never get that high so if you are an insanely talented at your job but you're not really competitive and you don't just like it's not your thing it's not your soul you're probably not going to get to a very high level right um, but if you are just like you refuse to lose any single thing and this is what you do like this is your whole being it doesn't matter if you're super talented like trevor you can get there because that's what he is he's a baseball junkie and he's brutally competitive and so he overcame his lack of athletic talent to become the best in the world right now I'm interested with Trevor and with other athletes that you work with, how do you balance seriousness with a psychological state of play that we've shown helps us to learn faster? It increases neurogenesis and new neural connections. Like how do you prevent from getting too far into the serious where the thing that they used to love is no longer fun? Yeah. 
Yeah, this is, it goes back to those three categories. And what I, in my opinion, um, while that curve is globally true, that curve is shifted right or to the left for different people. So I don't want every single person in the exact same mentality in competition because it will be too playful for someone. It'll be far um, too serious for others. And so I go back to that thing. If I have Trevor and I know he's competitive and I know he's not an athlete and I know though he is a baseball junkie to get him into a state of play, we talk details, right? We talk, Hey, like this is what's happening in the amount of spins you're getting per second on your ball. And this is, let's get on a force plate and let's look at these numbers. And this is why I need you jumping at this mill per second because that gets him into a state of play and he is totally jammed and into it. If I take Brian Ortega, Brian Ortega is a fighter, hundred percent fighter. And he is a competitor again, just brutally competitive, but he's not an athlete per se. If I show him numbers, he gets ADD and he gets Instagram out. He doesn't care. And he gets too serious, all that stuff like boom. So for him, um, it, it, it's we're talking shit, like massive shit to each other. Either I, either I will like literally challenge him. Um, I will tell him, you're not going to get like, this is, this is a number you've never hit. You're not going to get hit. Don't worry about it. You know, just take that off the bar. You're not going to get that anyways. Uh, that gets him in the right state of play, right? He's right there because we literally play games in between. So we'll, like take a baseball. Hey, let's hit that water bottle over there, uh, which he can't throw a baseball. He knows that, but he's so competitive. He wants to compete with me because I can throw a ball well. Just shit like that. And he's totally now not worried about the fact that we got to go deadlift 350 for a bunch of reps. He's 100% thinking about like, fuck, I'm going to finish these reps and how am I going to throw this ball? And he's, he's in there. And so I can't approach both athletes the same. You're, you're going to fail. It's not going to get them in the same spot. Um, you know, some athletes are also very serious. They show up and it's like, like they, they're getting to work and they want to listen. And this is their, their checking in. And other ones, this is their checkout time when they're with me. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm responding accordingly, putting them in a position where they can compete the most um, and get the most amount of quality work done. Awesome. One of our guys is uh, Stanley Cup winner on the Chicago Blackhawks, and we were hanging out uh, a few weeks ago, and he has this balance beam from the Foot Collective up in his gym and we're walking around on this thing and it's like smashing up the bottom of our feet. And he's telling me how much faster he's skating, just breaking up the fascia on, on the bottoms of his feet and walking on this balance beam. I, I was curious what I ended up buying one. Uh, we, were, we were just having so much fun messing around on the thing. And I was like, this is fantastic. I'm never going to roll out my feet on a lacrosse ball, but I will walk on a balance beam. And I was curious what, what one tool or practice movement pattern do you uh, recommend to most of your fighters do yourself for improving physiology and biomechanics? Oh, this is easy. It's, it's diaphragm set. It's what? Resetting the diaphragm. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. That's, it's a part of everything we do with everyone. If they can't get their diaphragm and their pelvis set correctly, nothing else functions in their world, especially because they are in a unique position, um, even compared to every other athlete and compared to non-athletes, where their body is going to be put in positions they don't want to be in. And they know that they're bad and they have to contract forcefully in very, very, very bad positions, right? So, yeah, your knee is smashed inside, goggles collapse, and you have to contract as hard as possible there. Because if you don't, someone's going to choke you unconscious or kick your face or whatever, right? So they get smashed in these really bad positions. And so we like to start everything by setting their pelvis and setting their diaphragm. And then from there, 
okay, you're going to learn to be okay in bad positions. We're going to keep you in a good position as possible. But I really feel like if you get those set, then everything else fixes itself. The feet tend to be good. The hips tend to be good. It's not perfect. That doesn't mean we don't coach anything else, but that's the one we, we set immediately. And we typically do that by asking them to start by laying on their back uh, up next to a wall. So they put their feet on the wall. So they're at a 90 degree ankle. So their shank is coming out perpendicular to the wall and their, their femur is you know, parallel to the wall and their back is flat and they're laying flat on their back. And depending on how talented they are, they can put their hand um, just above their hip bones on the side and they can smash kind of it would constrict it down. Um, or they can put their fingers right outside of their belly button, either way. And they're just going to breathe into that position as much as they possibly can. And they're not moving anything else but their hand in positions. And the first position is moving your belly button up, right? So this would be moving it away from you. The second would be moving your hands out laterally. And then the last one is pushing the back of your low back into the ground, but with your breath, not, not changing your spinal position at all. If you do that, you typically get very set and then we'll add small little exercises like go into a small uh, glute bridge from there and do the exact same thing. Okay, maybe now go into a single leg glute bridge. Now maybe stand up and go to a split squat position like a lunge position and set it there, etc. And now stand up, go into a squat, same position, etc. And that whole sequence can take, you know, a minute. You're not doing a four minutes any spotting like that. When we have to teach it, it might be an hour, right, to, to really get them there. But eventually this is part of their daily movement. This is something we do at the very beginning, right? Let's set there. And if they get off in the middle of a rep or a set or something, a lot of times we'll have them go back down and say, all right, like, like let's reset again and let's find that neutral position. Um, but that's, uh, that's our answer. It's always set the pelvis and the diaphragm. This episode is also brought to you by Buy Optimizers and the Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package. So if any of you guys are dealing with suboptimal digestion, characterized by gas, bloating, your stomach feeling distended or like it's sticking out after certain meals, if you get sluggish, if you deal with constipation or diarrhea, you're going to want to pay attention because it usually comes down to one of three things being off. The first is low stomach acid production. The second is low enzyme production. And the third is gut distension dysbiosis, meaning you have too many of the quote unquote bad bugs in your gut and not enough of the good ones. And the Bioptimizers Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package addresses all of these root causes of suboptimal digestion. It's the best value you could possibly get if you are looking to take 30 days and turn your digestion completely around. And you can get that for just 177 bucks. It's usually 270 bucks by going to buyoptimizers.com forward slash biohacks. That's B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com forward slash B I O H A C K S to check out the exclusive biohacking secrets upgraded digestion package for just 177 bucks today. And so just so that our listeners don't glaze over this, because you've, you mentioned that this is one of the most important things that you guys do and you're doing it with high level athletes. So what percentage of li people listening to this podcast, maybe there's a, a few high-level athletes, but a lot of them are regular folks. What percentage of them need to pay attention to resetting their pelvis, resetting their diaphragm, and that exercise that you just described? A hundred. <laughs> even if you don't have a daily ounce of back, just do it for one second. Get in there, breathe, thousand, one thousand, two thousand, three. Okay, go. Why not? It's... Uh, it's only when very little negative. Um, if you have any ounce of hip pain or low back pain, stiffness, maybe it's just kind of tight. Uh, this is, I'm not going to say that this is going to fix it or anything close like that, but 
it's really, really beneficial for a lot of people. Uh, it's pretty easy to do. It doesn't require any space, very little time. So I would strongly encourage everyone to, to give it a try. And, and if, if we were to do that, so you said you're laying, you've got your feet up on the wall, you're kind of at a 90 degree position, and then you've got your hands around your waist, just above your hips, you inhale and push the belly button towards the ceiling away from your spine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then you continue inhaling and push the hands out laterally. Then you continue inhaling and then you push the low back into the floor. So you've kind of got this like in every direction you're expanding, right? Yes, sir. It's a cylinder. And then do you hold that? Do you contract? Or then do you just exhale and wash, rinse, repeat? The latter. The latter. You can, you can certainly hold it. There's no reason why you can't. Yeah. Um, what we'll do too for people that are having a difficult time feeling that contraction is have them push their hands in even further. So they're squeezing their spine from the outside. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, you'll feel a contraction. And you'll start to use more or less. So if you want to let, really warm those muscles up, squeeze it hard and press out hard. If you just kind of want to get activated and set, you can breathe in, hold the position, and breathe out. You can do a vigorous breathing pattern. So almost match this with your hyperventilation, right? And really warm those muscles up and push them as much or as little as you, you have the strength to do in those muscles. Um, you'll wake up, you'll stand back up and all of a sudden your low back stiffness will just be gone. That's a very, very common thing. And like I said, you can do glute bridges with it. So do the first part of your warm up your glutes while you do it. So go up, hold the glute position and do three Inhale, exhale cycles. Go back down, reset, you know, lift your hips back up again. Do three. And we will do that actually commonly with a lot of different exercises is we will do those breath cycles while holding a rep or in rep, uh, in the middle of a rep up and down. And it, because if you can't, in our sport, if you can't separate breath from control, you're done for. Because you often have folks literally holding your chest down, holding your stomach down, closing your mouth. So you have to be able to breathe and contract at the same time and to, to disassociate those two things. Um, so we don't get to like where, for example, I come from an Olympic weightlifting background and I still work with powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters. Um, they have the ability to take a huge breath, get everything set, get everything lined up, go down in perfect position and then come back up. Um, most other folks don't have that ability. And so we have to be able to maintain as much or as little contraction as possible to maintain perfect stability and breath control, but not overexerting, right? We can't just and be maximally contracted at all times because um, you don't function well that way and you're gonna gas out quite literally. So yeah, you can do any of those combinations. My recommendation here would be just play, have some fun down there, do, do different things. Um, try to get your stomach gassed out, if you will, like instead of sitting and doing, you know, 30 or, you know, four minutes of crunchies or something to warm up, like crush these things here as your warm up. combine it with your breath pattern and then do it in an isometric hold. So go into a split squat and hold that position and go through these breath cycles and, and try to really activate those intercostals and really most specifically here, um, the transverse abdominus goes horizontal across your stomach, right? Your rectus abdominis as well uh, and your obliques as we call them. So all those are gonna get really warmed up and going and then the hips tend to feel good, the hamstrings release, the quads aren't so tight, the adductors you know, do their job. And you're set. If you want to add a little bit of like hamstring tension to that first position, that's okay too. So um, you can use a ball between your legs or a yoga box or something like that. Uh, reaching with your hands is another thing we like to do. So that initial position, you can put a ball or a box in between your knees, a little bit of hamstring tension, a little bit of, you're not squeezing that box down in between your knees, you're just touching it. And then you're reaching out away from your body and 
and pulling your scapulas apart and extending your reach. So your arms are going out away from the floor into the air. So perpendicular to your body and you get into that position and then you take some breath cycles through there. It's amazing just how everything lets go when you kind of get in that. And we usually do eight reps. Nice. I'm, I'm excited to do this. Actually. I'm thinking about. Honestly, it's a fantastic reset and a little work or whatever you're going to do. And you, if you've got a commute and as soon as you get to work, slide on for a second, hit eight, yeah. get back up and go. It feels really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're doing this a uh, hundred pushup challenge where a bunch of us are doing a hundred pushups a day for a hundred days and the guys are, everyone's busy. So they're like repping them out at the, I was doing some at the gas station the other day. One of the other guys was walking his kids in Florida and just dropped down and started pumping them out. And like, yeah. once you get okay with doing some of this stuff in public at the airport or, you know, while you're waiting for your flight or whatever, it, you can completely change your life with a little bit of extra movement. As long as you throw the shame out. You know? Yeah, yeah. So who cares? Especially airports right now. It's so easy to go find a little hole where no one's around. Yep. I mean, you can do it. I do this every time I fly. Basically, is you just find the the carrier that's that's empty and just go over there and open up the hips, open up yep. the stomach, and uh, and get the glutes going again, and you're fine. Nice, nice. Um, okay, so let's say you're given you're only given one exercise. It could be Olympic weightlifting or really any variety. Um that you're allowed to use with your athletes and one exercise that you're allowed to do yourself for the rest of your life. And it can be the same or they can be different for your picks. Um, so the one that I have to use with the athletes and myself, uh, it could be two different ones or it could be the same. One. Oh, it's I up see, to I you. See. Okay. Um, I would probably say, uh, like a Zerker squat is probably very high on that list. It's the downside of those is they typically don't, they're not enough for your lower body. So, but they feel great for your back. They feel great for your upper back, um, great for your torso, great for breath, breath position. They're, they're just amazing. And in the grappler world, they have to be able to hold a front loaded position quite often. Are you, now are you talking about basically like if you're doing a barbell squat, but you've got your elbows bent and you're holding the bar there? Yes. Okay. So like uh, a, a, a more advanced version of a goblet squat or something yeah. with a kettlebell in front. Uh, Almost like you, you're, you're trying to like get under hooks and turn a guy or something like that. Exactly. Okay. Um, but the difference is, you know, I hate those. I hate them. <laughs> but they're fantastic. <laughs> uh, you can't load them or you can load them much Not more much. than you can load a goblet squat. Yeah. Right? So there's only so hungry of a kettlebell because you're limited by um, your upper body where here you've got two biceps to hold it and you're going to be able to have double the weight. And so yeah, makes sense. The, the downside of a kettlebell for a goblet squat, you know, what are you going to hold 150 pounds? Well, that's nothing for your legs, but you can put yeah. 500 on a circuit easy. If you could hold it. Right. Um, so I like that. I probably, I probably couldn't, but your <laughs> athletes could. <laughs> Some of them couldn't. Many of them couldn't. Um, but you get the idea. So that, yeah. that's a really good one. Um, and you don't want to grapple with the guy that can. <laughs> no kidding. Um, Probably some sort of rear foot elevated split squat is another one that would go really, really high on my list. Uh, just because you can now target glutes, hamstrings, quads. And if you just change your foot angle a little bit, it can go really from a quad to a glute, which is good. That's that a great point. call. That's a great call. I used to do those all the time when uh, I worked at David Barton gym. And there was like this spot in the gym where we would do them. And I realized like, I've hardly done them since, since I stopped working there, man, there's nothing that will improve your hip adductor 
uh, and hip flexor range of motion better than that a single exercise. And why is that? Is it is it just because of the added stretch too, like the increased range of motion? Yeah, you have to have Having an increased range of motion and now you can load it. And the beauty of it is when you take one hip and turn it this way and the other hip and turn it the other way, it almost always goes to neutral. And so if you stay there, uh, like if your hip flexors are tight or if your hamstrings are tight, both are getting worked. Mm-hmm. If your adductor is tight, that's getting trained as well. And you can increase the height of your foot or you can change, like you said, your foot position. So if you bring your heel closer to your to the bench, then it's going to be more uh, emphasis usually on your quad, which I think people undertrain their quads a lot. Yeah. Um, or if you put it out further, it'll be very easy on your knee and it'll be very heavy on your glute. Uh, more difficult and so there is also anti-rotation that has to happen there because as you're off-centered your body's going to want to turn towards that front foot and so your entire uh, musculature around your hips and your abs have to work to stop you from rotating this has to work to stop you from falling left to right uh, and they have to hold you in position so that your legs can actually pump contraction so it's a fairly complicated movement but it is much easier to coach and to cue than something like a back squat yeah, which is actually very technically difficult to do for most people, and even the athletes I work with—they're not—they're high-level athletes, but they not—they might not have a high training age, and so we may have to regress them, you know, in terms of the difficulty. In fact, actually, I feel fairly confident speaking to the general public because most of the athletes I work with—they don't move any better in the weight room than than the general public does, really, when you age match, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like, yeah, you got to—you a lot of goblet squats and a lot of you know, very rudimentary bear crawls and, and things like that to, to move them. And mm-hmm. I think the athletes are doing like all these crazy things, but they're generally not like even the fighters are, you know, again, we're doing trap bar deadlifts and bear crawls and push up holes and, and things like that. So. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm definitely going to get back to some of those uh, rear leg elevated split squats. I can't promise I'm going to be doing any zerkers, but. Um, Don't get soft on me. <laughs> I want to kind of bring this, this plane home, but this is a lot of fun. Um, what, what would you say is one of your more unorthodox or controversial recommendations that works? Mm. Well, I guess some of the intentional breath manipulation stuff, depending. So I have a video um, just describing what I call the, my bulletproof bullshit detector. And I'm a little bit different because traditionally you have science, right? And we view scientists, especially ones that are full-time academics like me as like, ah, if it's not in a randomized clinical control trial, like it doesn't count, blah, 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 right? And then you have people on the other end of the spectrum, which are just like every time somebody throws out a, a study where they measured some molecule in mice, everyone wants to start taking some special concentrated silver supplement. You know, like you have this nonsense over here, right? And typically you associate an academic as being on the other end of the spectrum. And then you have your gurus and hackers and stuff on the, the other end of the spectrum. Um, I, I understand because I work in both these spectrums. I work with athletes and I work with, uh, and I'm a scientist. You, you, you simply can't find individual answers from science. Science does and is never meant to, at least the way we approach it, give individual answers to people. It gives an answer usually of what's most likely to work and most people most of the time, which means as a starting place, 
you should go here if you want to save time, minimize the likelihood of making a mistake and wasting time. But again, it does not give individual answers very rarely um, to individual problems. And so you have to move further down that in the spectrum to get those individual answers. You have to start playing with things that have less evidence of them. Uh, and you have to start playing with things that have, they're maybe more controversial and they're more woo-woo or whatever the thing tends to be. So if you are talking to a bunch of scientists, there's probably a whole host of things that I do that they would say to be highly controversial. And I'd say they'd have, they work. I mean, if, I'm, if the people listening to this are coming here from the other end of the spectrum, they would say like everything I'm doing is super controversial the other way. Cause it's like, I'm not paying attention to the newest thing. I'm not paying attention to other crowds, but I would say typically that crowd is wrong more than it is right. Um, so the people who want to be cutting edge and to be super advanced, it doesn't mean they don't get some things right. Yeah, they, they do, but they tend to get more things wrong than, than not. Um, but they're also trying to get answers today and they don't have time to wait for six years or they don't want to wait for 12 years for RCTs. So it's not a judgment on any side of the spectrum. It's identification of where you are personally and then who you're serving, um, whether that be yourself or somebody else and where you want to put your risk. Would you rather be wrong more often and occasionally get something right or would you rather be wrong less often and but have your answers sort of slower. Where do you want to put your risk? Um, and so that it, that position in and of itself is fairly controversial to the both crowds, right? The science always and above and beyond everything crowd, as well as the all scientists are all just bought by big pharma. It's like, okay, you don't actually know how this thing works, even close. Um, also, the folks on the center of the spectrum, they don't understand things like antidote. They don't understand things like placebo. They don't understand a whole bunch of other stuff. And so they tend to give things claims of working when it's like, no, this is not actually working for, or could you don't know if it's working for a whole host of reasons. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I don't, I don't really know if I have anything. And depending on the crowd, you would get different answers for that. Um, I mean, I will use, for example, supplementation of some things that I say don't have tremendous clinical controlled trials to support them, but they're not, you know, like I'm not giving them toad venom either. Uh, so although I have plenty of friends who've done that and they're like, Oh, it's amazing. Okay. I have, I have too. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. And you can probably tell me it's fantastic. I'm not going there though. Right. Um, for a whole host of reasons. So I'd say I'm probably somewhere uh, down the line a little bit. Um, I'm trying to give you like, think of any examples of views that would be fairly controversial more towards my crowd that I don't think is actually that controversial. Um, or does I mean, anything stand out from, well, and I don't mean to cut you off if you've got one, I was going to yeah, give. Hold, hold yours. Maybe this is a little bit, it's, you, I mean, your listeners are going to be like, um, that's not the big deal, but um, something like CBD or even marijuana for that, for that matter. Um, that's a good call. There's, there's no evidence. In fact, the little bit of evidence that's come out so far on CBD shows it's generally not effective really at anything. But I look at those trials and I think you're giving people way too small of a dose. You're giving them like 100 of the dose that people actually take. Um, I have used a whole host of CBDs and generally not been impressed whatsoever. I don't feel like I've ever seen them do anything. But from what I know about the biochemistry of that, I actually do think there's something there. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that we've lined the science up yet. And I think you have a problem of way too many products coming out that are uh, crappy. And totally so agree. that is something where I've, I don't go to my way to recommend it to athletes, but when they bring it up, I can say, okay, I like, I know one company soul CBD S O U L. Mm -hmm. Um, and their stuff has stood out so far to me. It's like, that's been really, really, really good. Um, it's S O L or S O U L S O U L S O U L. Okay. 
yeah, Soul CBD is is um, really high quality, and because the athletes I work with, it's certified, no THC, etc. If you don't mm. um, now, in fact, actually, that matters less because they've taken THC off the banned list for some of the athletes. It's still on for others, but oh, there you go. If you're not a professional athlete, you don't maybe care if it has trace amounts of THC in it, or you maybe actually want it to have some THC. I don't know, yeah, uh, but even I going do. to marijuana itself with THC. Um, I've never really thought that that's that big a deal. And in fact, there's been plenty of athletes and I'm like, I like eating you smoke. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe just keep doing that a little bit. Like once a week, let's just go ahead and keep doing that. Cause I actually think it's probably a little bit, uh, I'm good for you. So that would be another controversial position that I've had for. That's a, that's a great recommendation, time. especially with when it, when it comes to the inflammation and recovery, um, you know, when you get into certain strains of, of cannabis, it can, it can, allow us to sort of just chill out a little bit in a a world that since 2020 has been a bit heavy at times (laughs) to be be, be honest i don't know much at all really about anything cannabis like i'm very my knowledge is very little in there um with exception of looking into the cannabinoids being like okay there's something probably here that to me meets first principles um you know taking a whole bunch of for for example, uh, specific microbiota stuff to change your gut microbiome, that doesn't make sense to me. And I think we're missing. I think I think we're way off there. I think the um, you know the gurus, if you will, are big time off there. But I think they're probably pretty close in saying plant based medicine. Some of these are pretty good. Um, I think like psychedelics for some major brain trauma stuff actually makes a ton of sense. That meets first principles. Um, you know, taking a a special concoction brew you know, made to recover from having, you know, like as a hangover cure, that doesn't make first principle sense. So purchase, purchase at a gas station in Lafayette. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like that. Like, okay. That's not really going to hack your performance that much. Um, uh, getting in the sunlight, like that makes a ton of sense to me. That makes a lot of first principle sense. Um, shining a red light in your balls. I don't know yet. Like, you're going to have to show me evidence on that one before I'm super, I'm going to get the idea here, but like, show me the good evidence. I'm I'm, I'm the same way. I've read some stuff on that and I'm like, I'm still scratching my head a little bit and I'm not putting red light on my, on my balls. Um, I'm not super against it. I just, it's a lot of work to like put a light on your balls. That's what I'm saying. So (laughs) it, it just depends on your position on the spectrum, right? This bullshit spectrum of, do you need a little bit of evidence or do you need none? And that one to me, no evidence whatsoever okay doesn't mean it's wrong but just means there's no evidence yet um plausible theory okay yeah but it's pretty weak um there is actually some indirect stuff that maybe it's there uh, but big cost big pain in the ass okay if you don't care about cost pain in the ass and you're willing to take a little bit of potential benefit well then fine there's probably not much harm i don't really care Uh, in fact i do have one athlete that uses that for that exact reason (laughs) to try to bump his testosterone yeah okay like fine. I mean, it's not my first place I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go after your sleep first. If that's what you really want. I was in. just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm generally, but that's my position. I'm a first principles guy. Like let's get this stuff in order first before we jump to, you know, those things. So awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Andy Galpin.com, A N D Y G A L P I N.com. That's where you've got all your wisdom. You got the body of knowledge podcast, the book unplugged on Amazon that, uh, you guys should pick up. Um, 
if you enjoyed any of this, which I'm sure you did if you're still listening at this point. <laughs> and uh, Andy, where else can people stay up to date with cool things you're working on and stuff you got coming out? Sure. Uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram are the best place, Andy Galpin, um, for me to, to produce things. If you're the type that likes the direct link to the studies and things like that, Twitter is the easiest place to direct link. But most of you are probably on Instagram. So you don't have to just Google the title yourself if you want those things from there. But, um, and then uh, the one thing I actually will say is if you are the cheap or attention deprived bastard and you're like, I just can't suffer through another book. And, and to be fair, that my book probably takes the individual person about an hour to read total. It's not exactly a hard to read kind of thing. Oh, it's, a, it's a good read too. Um, if you want, I, I made like a seven minute summary of the entire book on YouTube. <laughs> what are you just trying to cannibalize your book sales? <laughs> I don't care at all. Um, the, you know, when Phil and Brian and I wrote that book, like we, we had a very candid conversation and, and, you know, like making money off that book was not on our priority list. We, we just knew that like it wasn't changing our lives that much. Um, if you will. So I, I don't care. Like I want the message out for people who want to use, understand how to use and not get used by training technologies. Cause there are benefits. And then as we've had this conversation, I've talked about some that we do use and I've talked about some that can actually, we never really got into this, but there are plenty that can rob you of your physiology and rob you of your recovery and rob you of your things. And I don't just mean like, oh, your cell phone or Instagram. I mean, things you think are improving your performance and recovery and you're using them incorrectly and they're maybe taking you in the wrong direction. Um, so that is summarized up on YouTube. And uh, in general, if you want, uh, basically my YouTube channel is is all my classes. So you could basically take an entire college education with me free on YouTube. So that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing uh, your time with us today, your wisdom. We appreciate you, man. It's been fun. Likewise, man. It's nice to catch up here. Likewise. What's up guys. Anthony here. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the biohacking secrets show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one -on -one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, Candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like 
MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 